And so I'm going to say you're about negative 0.3, right up there with Ronnie. <laughs> I would say if his legs are anything like mine, it's a little ambiguous. Oh, but uh, I mean, that looks like a plus or minus oh, well. 10% to me. Yeah, I was going to say that's yeah. probably like a legit 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I would say as well, because I think, I think that it's a, a pretty, pretty good kind of general rule of thumb is like when you start looking lean, so like you almost have the same kind of ad definition as this guy, or will this be put on the screen, this picture? Or, yeah, we can put it up. Yeah. So you might actually have a similarly good like ad definition, chest might look as defined as this guy's, um, but you still have some like nice, healthy, like muscly padding on your shoulders and all of those things, then you're probably in the low teens. And that that's actually why I think for most people, that's a good endpoint during a cut. Um, and not that this guy doesn't look good, like he looks awesome, but like he, like, you start having this angular look to you when you, when you get to like that legit 10% mark, like the shoulders start looking a bit like a, like this mm-hmm. square. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's just kind of how it is often. Looks like yeah. the other you kind of lose a little bit of the soft padding almost like underneath the armpit, like lat area. And it gives you, like you're saying that more like angular appearance. I just noticed that recently with me as I've dropped into the mid one eighties more consistently, I feel like I catch glimpses of myself and I'm like, Oh, that, that looks interesting. You know, it's kind of, I'm used to having that like softer padding in the, the lat area back there. Right. Yeah. I think it's almost um, the, the only people that I think, it's really worth going down there unless it's for some personal challenge or something is those that just have like a very body fat distribution that doesn't favor the look that they want. So like if someone wants to have like a really good six pack and they have like a very central fat storage pattern, so then you may need to go down to 10 to have the look that someone else might have at 13 or something. But otherwise I think it's, it's just not worth it often. Yeah. So let's start off by pointing out that Abel has abandoned Hat Boys today. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that too. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. commitment. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's going to be a good guessing game for the viewers. Like who is going to be the one opting out next summer? <laughs> <laughs> I like last time yeah. we had beanies on too. This time it's baseball hats, you know. Two times ago was beanies. Last time yeah. I, I did abandon the hat, but you doubled up with the hoodie. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um so brian you're down into the low 180s now no mid 180s uh the last two days have been 184.6 but my low for the diet is 184.2 and that was nine days ago so literally Mm. i hit 184.2 and then it bounced back up to like 187 186 185 and then finally now back down into the 184s and this just kind of seems to be the way it's going. Like I don't, every time that I hit a new low, it like goes up three pounds and then like gradually works its way back down to a new low again. Yeah. Interesting. What's and, the biggest uh, daily, like, uh, sorry, I'm not the yeah. host here, but um, what's the biggest daily fluctuation that you guys will tend to have? Um, I, I don't know if you do that, like you weigh in after yeah. the gym before shower or something, but I always do it in the morning after uh, the morning bathroom routine. And uh, this diet, I have literally not taken a single refeed the entire 10 plus weeks which has been the first time I've ever taken this approach. So it's been much more predictable. Um, It basically hangs out every morning within a two, two and a half pound range. Um, Whereas when I was doing the refeeds, it was, you know, all over the place. Yeah. Refeeds are definitely, you know, something April and I've had pretty extensive podcasts on that. It just makes things, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of refeeds, but like even if, for example, while, I mean, while dieting, it's all over the place, but even not dieting, for example, um, I'm sitting about like 195 and over the weekend, I'll just like eat more. So it's not really a refeed, but you can call it a cheat, whatever you want to call it. And pretty consistently, it'll bump me up like a couple of pounds and I'll go down, bump up a couple of pounds. And this past weekend, I went to uh, North Carolina to visit a friend, ate a ton of junk. Uh, and I bumped up to 199 and then the next day was like 196.8. 
So I'm like, all right, I'll be back to my 195 within a couple of days. Then it was 196.6, 196.8, 196.8. Today, this morning, I'm 197.2, even though I've consciously been eating less than I normally would throughout the week, like significantly less. Now I'm probably eating more volume because I'm hungrier because I'm eating less. But the point is I'm up two pounds from last Monday, even though I've had probably a maintenance of calories if you were to average everything. Mm-hmm. But my, and, my, and as I've mentioned many times, my body is all over the place with water retention and, and whatnot. So even more so in dieting. And so I'm just saying it does, uh, I, I definitely concur that it, it kind of screws things up mentally if it bothers you. Yeah. The, um, the type of food you're eating really matters too. Cause like I went on vacation, uh, recently, like last weekend and, uh, I kept my calorie average, uh, right where I more or less wanted it to be like every day was between 2,300 and 3,000. So it was like a 27 ish average. And when I got back from that vacation, I was up you know, two and a half, three pounds, like it was on the higher end of what I would expect to be up. And just like your story, I've been eating less, you know, for many days in a row. And it took five days before it finally like got back down into where yeah. I kind of expected it to be. So maybe a little delayed effect or something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what, what's crazy to me is, um, I mean, I haven't been doing this for a long time, but I, especially in the summer, what I would do is I wait, I would weigh in in the morning and then I would go to the gym sometime in the afternoon and then I come home, take a shower. And then before that, like the scale is right there. So I just step on it. And usually I, sometimes it would be kind of amazing how light I would be even compared to my morning weigh-in. Um, mm-hmm. Evening weigh-in, of course, like that almost doesn't count because, uh, you know, like it just depends on how much volume of food you you've eaten. But in the morning, I mean, it also depends quite a lot to me on when my last meal was. I don't know how big of a difference it makes for you guys, but to me, I can sometimes even feel like I'm waking up bloated. So on those days, my morning weigh-in will be pretty high. And sometimes it, they, I think the largest one I've seen was like almost like four kilos. This was in the summer, mind you. But uh, and and I definitely do feel like super depleted at the end of my workouts in the summer because like mm. I'm sweating a lot like to walk there and to walk back already and then four kilos between when and when morning weigh in and after the gym um, four kilos lighter after the gym yeah I mean okay so my so like that that was during a time when um, I, I remember the specific like I w- I would only drink like protein shakes basically like uh, up until post-workout meal time, which would be like, like seven, eight hours after waking up. So you had um, no food volume, basically. That's still shocking to me. I I would never be lighter later in the day. Like even just from water, I would be heavier. Intermittent fasting times. I do, I do find myself lighter too, but I mean, four kilos is a ton, but like to Abel's point, like I could wake up at 187 and then fast all day and just drink water and like, you know, electrolytes or whatever. And by mm-hmm. 4 PM stand on the scale and be three pounds lighter than my AM weigh in. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the lightest I am is when we go out uh, and I will have like some drinks as well. And then like, I, I come home like, holy shit. Like, like, and that that's when I see sometimes the, the most shocking weigh-ins uh, or again, like I'm not as neurotic now, so I don't really weigh in like uh, not in the morning anymore, but like I, I used to do this and like, let's say I would be like 82. That would be like my general weight. And then like, I would see something like 78 or something on the scale. And that's like, uh-huh. it's so it's for one, it's interesting because of just my case study, but also like, it's just amazing that like there, there is your body and there's your average weight and like, okay, so like if I took out like all the food volume and like I got a bit dehydrated, like how much lighter could this very body be with the same amount of like tissue on it? It's yeah. Pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's how all these, you know, wrestlers and MMA fighters will cut 20 pounds. And it's like the majority right. of that. I mean, some of it is fat and some muscle, but it's mostly food, bulk and water. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. We have a uh, steam shower in my house. And, uh, some mornings I'll go in there and do that before I weigh in. And it's like, not even a fair comparison because it's like two or three pounds less just from sweating out. Yeah. Mm. I definitely think it's a marker of neuroticism though. When you're weighing all the time, like I think back to like, I only weigh in in the morning these days and I don't really think about too much. Um, 
but I know back when I like probably the only time I ever had a quote unquote unhealthy relationship with food was back in like 2013 or so 2012. And I remember I was like so hungry and I would have planned to have a cheat the next day. And I would take my night weigh-ins. And if my night weigh-in was significantly lighter than like maybe like a previous night, I would justify it like, oh, well, I'm already light. I'll start it now, you know? And then, <laughs> yeah. then, then I could actually sleep. Otherwise it was like, you know, the next morning was Christmas morning and I couldn't sleep. So, um, <laughs> but I was definitely looking for a justification of like, well, I, I can start it earlier, you know? And thankfully yeah. that was a relatively short time. But I, so I was like, oh, that's, that's just not a good behavior to have. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I actually know that mindset. I've been there too. I, uh, I've kind of gotten to a point now where I weigh in at night just cause I think it's fun to see, cause I can predict almost to like the half pound, mm. what I'm going to be in the morning based on what I am at night, because the diet, like when you're dieting, you just don't have like enough food volume in your body for things to like fluctuate that much overnight. So it's yeah. like two and a half to three pounds every time, whatever it is, uh, at bedtime before the morning. So predictability, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so you guys, we got a couple of topics to go into. Like, what's a good one to start with? I definitely want to get to minimalist training because that's what we missed last time. However, I think a shorter topic that we can start on is the overhead press topic, just because. Mm. So in our conversations, Abel was like, yeah, I mean, I think we all kind of like understand at this point, overhead press is not a good shoulder builder. And I was like, hold on. No, no, no. That's not, not what I said. Hold on. Don't miss Abel it. said overhead press sucks. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I said like, it's, it's at this point, it's uh, pretty commonly accepted in the industry. Uh, that, that That's what I said, I think. So it's like, I, I don't necessarily think that, but uh enough people said it that are like even like big names that i'm like okay i, I guess that's the common stance at the moment dante trudell is, is screaming at somebody right now because he uh-huh. uh it's just like one of those it's, it's like i don't know it would be like at least to him probably the same as if you said like yeah i mean it's commonly accepted that these days you only need 100 grams of protein It'd be like uh <laughs> what? like you know because that was always like the whole thing like you want bowler shoulders like you know you should be overhead pressing this amount like if you're pressing 100 pound dumbbells you're not going to have tiny shoulders etc um and i do agree with that i i mean for a while i know even like jeff alberts had gotten completely away from laterals and apparently that's not the case now or for a while but i know there was a period where he was pretty much just doing pressing whereas somebody like steve hall was the opposite he was doing just laterals he wasn't doing any overhead pressing um i I was mostly just doing pressing. I actually only introduced laterals again with Steve and I've since been doing them. Um, but I don't really know as much of a difference. I, I have very, like from the side, my shoulders are, are decent from the front. They're very flat. I, I've just never had them like come out much, but that seems to be like, there's actually a picture of my brother and I next to each other. And within like three years, he had these like cap delts and looked wider from the front, even though he was probably you know, 15 pounds less muscle than me. Um, but you know, from another angle, it's, it's very different. So it's not like I'm sitting here saying, wow, I have these great shoulders and I, and I don't do laterals, but definitely overhead press was a, has always been a staple of mine. Yeah. Uh, Brian, want to go for uh, first on this? Cause I'm actually trying to find a picture of you to check out your delts. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So I, um, I think it's an interesting question because probably most people that do overhead press probably also do some lateral raises. Like I know you referenced, you know, Jeff Alberts and Dante was, does Dante like actually not do lateral raises or is that like, he didn't... Um, he doesn't recommend against lateral raises. Yeah. But if you look at most of the exercise selection, it's like hammer strength, shoulder press. Like it's, okay. it's a lot of machine shoulder pressing Smith yeah. uh, overhead press. So I guess that that maybe goes against my point, but I was going to say that like, it, it's kind of a little different than the lat argument. Cause you could say like, well, all these people have developed lats doing like wide grip pull downs and bent over barbell rows for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't be like, well, they're probably also doing iliac pull downs alongside with it. Whereas yeah. I feel like with the shoulder press, it, to me, it feels like you can't completely separate whether sh- whether overhead press is a good shoulder builder or not, because most people um, would do both overhead press and lateral raises in their routines. Um, but as far as for me, like, I actually think that since I have been doing more specific, like shoulder abduction type stuff in the last five plus years, 
Uh, I actually think my shoulders have gotten better. Like if you, if you able, uh, able do stumble across pictures of me from, from pre 2017, 16 type thing, I think that my shoulder development was probably not as good. It's a little ambiguous because of all of the, um, trap based stuff I was doing. So I guess like in some ways I was doing shoulder abduction via high pulling, um, with Olympic lifting and stuff like that. But in like the early hypertrophy days before I even got involved in CrossFit, it was pretty much all overhead pressing as well. Like the first, you know, 10 years of training was pretty much seated dumbbell overhead press and standing barbell overhead press. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is that um, truly impressive delts uh, with netties, it's just pretty rare to see. I feel like either way, like, um, like, yeah, Brian, you, you have good delts, but um, I would say, and actually I would say I have decent delts as well. It's like one of, one of my, I don't really have, maybe, maybe my chest is my best muscle group, but the delts are actually pretty decent. But, um, but it's not so like truly like rounded, like kind of enhanced-ish looking delts are like rare to see with netties. And when yeah. you do see it, like you immediately notice it because it's so rare. And within those um, actually the two I can think of now, which is Kino Buddy and um, Menno, uh, they are actually both like huge fans of the OHP. They do right. laterals as well. So, but, so again, it's hard to tell. I yeah. think Martin Burkhan, like, I mean, who knows with that guy, but I mean, he, uh, he has really impressive everything pretty much. And some, like, I even remember specifically at the comment section, like someone asked him, do you do laterals or just OHP? And he just uh, responded laterals and laughing, crying smileys. Um, mm. It's like, of course, I don't do laterals. Right. And um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, it, 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 but it's hard to tell exactly because of what Brian is saying. Um, two, two points. So the one, the one point is that the front belts are actually, I think they're a little bit underrated or a little bit, um, Un unjustifiably like almost like bashed on if someone is uh, doing something that is emphasizing that more so because actually the front delts add a lot I think to your aesthetic appeal like especially from like a back double bicep pose the well-developed front delts are actually a big part of how that's going to look and I'm actually I actually do notice that on myself now that um I did regress on 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 my front delts um since I haven't been doing any OHP for a while. Um, oh, you don't do any? So I haven't done any in like a year now. Mm -hmm. uh, but before that, it was always in there in some way. I was a big fan of these cable overhead presses, which I actually think that those are awesome. Um, and uh, the other thing I wanted, I actually wanted to ask you guys, like if you're thinking of, let's say, a barbell OHP, uh, at, like at which point of the movement do you think the side delts would be the most hit? Because I would think that it's it's like here at this point yeah and for that reason i i would think that like wouldn't it be a narrower grip that would be better for that because like in that case like you're kind of doing this if it's a really wide grip then you can almost like skip this entire like shoulder yeah flexion emotion like because it's it's all like this right yeah i mean i don't think that the um medial delts like turn off when you're above this area, but I do think that, yeah, you, you still want to make sure like if you had like partials for some reason, just going like this, like, I don't think that would be that great. Well, really of anything for a builder of anything, but, but especially like the medial delts there. Um, I agree with what you're saying about it mattering from like the different angles there, but I also think, I mean, obviously everything is, is strongly genetic, but I have a friend, Kevin, who has great, very like capped delts, like relative to his size. And because of his shoulder problems, I don't think the guy, he has an overhead press, like as long as I've known him, like forever. Um, I don't think he does laterals either. I think he just changed chest and like, it just works. But again, that's just more of a genetic emphasis. I'm not saying that that's what you should do. Um, yeah. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. Just in general, it's, it's hard to imagine somebody yeah. saying overhead press in general is not a good movement. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't know. Um, for me personally, it was always welcomed whenever someone said that. I was like, well, I think I'll do it just in case. But like, mm -hmm. I, I really wish that, or I really hope that that's actually not the case because I might have to stop this at any moment because 
Um, that's the only serious injury I had in my shoulders. That was from a barbell overhead press. And it's not the movement's fault. I just fucked up. But man, like when I, when I look at that Olympic freaking lockout that people do, like I have to turn my head. Like it looks so like, holy shit. Like mm. you're standing like this. It's like, what if your arms move backwards a little bit? Like what, what's going to happen <laughs> to that shoulder joint? Jesus Christ. <laughs> you just yeah. dumped the bar. Um, but uh, so I actually haven't done any overhead pressing probably in five years. Wow. Uh, like, I, I guess when, when casts, when I went through the casts and uh, one stuff, I messed around with doing that, like steep incline uh, anterior delt press, as he calls it, you know, where the dumbbells are 45 degrees, the elbows are tucked a little bit in the scapular yeah. plane. And, um, and so the thing is that that caused me the same problem that the barbell OHP caused me or the way that when my arms are uh, abducted, um, it basically just, there's something that happens as I get within four, three, two, one reps of failure, where there's like this grinding sensation in my shoulder as I like press through the sticking point. And it's like really disconcerting. Like I can actually like feel and hear this like grinding noise, um, and so I like tried to push through it for a couple of weeks because it didn't actually like cause pain, but it was so disconcerting that I, I just took it out after, you know, two or three sessions and really haven't done much of it. So um, I'd love to, like, I think that I'm not, I don't think it's not a good shoulder builder. I just think it's probably not the best lateral delt movement specifically. Um, but I, I mean, I, like I said, I used it the first 10 years and and I think it was responsible for pretty much all of the shoulder development I had during that time. Yeah. And I'd also clarify that like, if, if you are doing plenty of like flat or especially incline pressing, yeah. and then you add a bunch of laterals on top of that, I'm, you're probably fine. Like, I'm definitely not saying it. I was more just saying that like, it's hard to imagine people saying it's not effective, but I also oh, think you yeah, need that effect. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't think, I, I don't think they would say it's, it's zero. Uh, it, they would just say that, you know, to to use a, like the Doug Brignoli like rating scale, like it would be like um, I don't know, like a three out of ten for the side delts, ten out of ten for the front delts, and something like a lateral would be like a ten out of ten for the side delts. So and mm. stimulus to fatigue, especially, you know, yeah. just just uh, just don't mess with that. Right. Yeah. So the other topic we were going to discuss that I just thought of this. This just happened yesterday. So uh, it was talking about looking bigger when fatter. This kind of goes back to my video on like bear mode and whatnot. So I, I mentioned I'm 197 this morning, which is the heaviest I've been in a while uh, as far as a non-post refeed. Brian, you're like 185. And then Abel, how much are you right now? So I would be, I think, 195, right? 195, okay. Yeah. Because um, I've noticed that, and again, this is always like, we have such confusing things between us, like Brian and I, you and I, I said, are like identical strength, right? And, and but you probably have 15 pounds of muscle on me. Um, and then like Abel and I, it's honestly even more confusing because we're the same height, we'll be the same weight. He'll clearly be leaner than me, but yet like I'll have bigger arm measurements, bigger thigh measurements, bigger shoulders. So then I'll think, okay, but he's got like a smaller waist, but then you'll tell me your waist and it's like the same. So it's like, I don't know where <laughs> the weight is. It's just strange. Um, but I think yeah. you hold it like your face right now, 195 still looks pretty lean, man. I, I mean, I would have. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just surprised to hear that, but thanks. You hold it well. So it's just very interesting. Um, and I imagine that in person, you look completely different than when you were, let's say like 175. Like I'm sure you look much bigger in clothes, obviously, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so yeah, that I heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, so I think, I think actually like what's going on in my case is that I was like, so I'm not, not aware of this, but I might actually be one of the luckier people in terms of body fat distribution. I think, I think that that's it because like I, I actually hold, so I, I snapped some pictures the other day and man, I think I should still have it. I'll show you if I still have it. I, I took some for, from off my hamstrings and like we were laughing at how like Brian looks like, you know, a 9%, like rest of his body and his hamstrings look like much higher. And like, I'm pretty much like that as well, actually. So I'll just show you this picture. Okay. It's a little bit gross. Cause I'm, I mean, or how gross is it that someone is hairy down there? <laughs> um, okay. So, I mean, check this out. 
Yeah. That kind of looks like mine. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and so the rest of my body looks actually much leaner. Like uh, I, I have a couple of ab veins even now. Hmm. So, and it's just, um, I think the reason I thought that I'm a typical male in terms of my body fat storage pattern is because I just don't have very like strong abdominal muscles that protrude through. So like, I actually have to be like really lean to see them without flexing. For example, they're just not blocky. That's just their structure. And also I'm, I'm very prone to bloating as well. Like it's just, my stomach always has this um, like muffin top kind of shape. Um, mm. So it's, because of those things, but in terms of the actual fat, I don't hold that much in my stomach. I hold way more in my back and then in the lower body as well. So I think that's it. And then also the, um, so I think our hips or I don't know if we measured that, but I think we might have, but at some point we have, I don't remember what they were, but I think, I think, we think there it's safe to assume that that's narrower for me. Um, and, and that creates like adds to the illusion of having a narrower waist as well. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely have some fat boy hips, but it's just, it's, it's so interesting to me. Like even with the distribution, it's not like I have these like shredded legs. That's like, Oh, that kind of explains it. You know, they're just like kind of on par with everything else. Um, but like looking at you right now, if I just looking at like face, upper chest, arm vein, and now you're telling me you have ad veins, I would have believed that you were like 185 based on how lean that is. You know what I mean? Like on appearance. So yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it, but it, but it's also hard. So like, because we might be in an agreement of like how lean I look, but I know we are not in agreement on about like how lean you look or how muscular you look. Cause I, I remember like last summer, I think you sent me a picture and I I'm forgetting what you were weighing on that picture, either 200 or 190, one of those. And it's like, well, so for example, look at this and you send me, and it's like, well, I can see abs without flexing. So like, I don't know, it looks pretty lean to me, but I mean, yeah. feel free to disagree. So, yeah, maybe I was humble bragging, like, oh, look at this horrible picture. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but anyway, the, the main point I want to bring up, though, is just that it's interesting, not even, not even surprising, but just like how much bigger you can look to most people. Like, there's a pretty advanced guy at my gym, and he saw me, this was Friday, two days ago, and he's like, yeah, man, like, man, you're looking thick, like, you're looking big. And I, I've pretty much just gained like pure fat. Like, I just, I don't think I've gained much muscle. Um, you know, as we mentioned with like the Steve coaching videos, like I'm not any further along than I was last year and maybe even a little worse, but I had that six uh, minute mile goal back. And so I was like in the low 180s. So he saw me during that period and he's seen me kind of bulk up, <laughs> excuse me, but he, I'm not really that much more muscular. And I told him, I was like, yeah, dude, I'm mostly just fatter, but he just sees a bigger guy. And that's just how most people see yeah, especially in clothes. Like I, uh, I had a patient comment on my physique the other day and the reality is like, I, I feel like quite soft and obviously like I have a better physique than the average person, but I, I'm just saying like, it's, it's funny how the average person will just see you as like more and more muscular up into almost like a surprising point. Like I've seen people comment on guys who are like 20 plus percent body fat and they'll say like, Oh, like, you know, he, he's like really big. He's like, he's pretty jacked. And I'm like, dude, this guy's like kind of fat, like actually fat. And the people, like a lot of average people just say like, wow, like, you know, they're just really big. So yeah. uh, not to, not to give people like an excuse to just get fat, but I do think that for most naturals, like if I had to choose between, you know, being kind of skinnier and lean or being bigger and like appearing bigger, um, but softer, I'd probably go with the latter in most cases, not even counting all of like the benefits as far as like your mood and libido and being able to eat more like that for sure kind of makes, takes it. But um, even that aside, I think if you want to look like you lift for most naturals, like being 15% generally looks more impressive while you're in clothes, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I agree that you like in clothes, at least your like, like my arms, I, I look like I have arms when, when, when I'm fatter. So that is great. And I know, so I, I've heard it enough from like non lifters, like little compliments and, and really surprising ones. Like I remember uh, when the COVID stuff began 
And, and that's like, I was maybe in my worst shape, uh, like in the last like five years at, at that time. And so I put on quite a bit of fat and everything. I remember going over to my in-laws and the, the father looked at me and, and he said like, wow, like he, he never looked this good. He said mm-hmm. it to like everyone else in the room. And I was like, what the hell? Like, like, like how? Like I never looked this bad. And that's not even a question. <laughs> like it's objectively true. Um, and the thing is like, for me personally, I would, I would actually still pick the leaner look because like, for one, like I, I just hate some of the sensations that go with it, um, with my shirt off. Like, I, I just really don't like the look that I have, let's say at like 20 plus percent and, and also like facial aesthetics, like, like, and, and some weird things that I cannot quite explain, but. I'm like, uh, what's the name? Nicolas Cage, I think the actor who like can never have a good haircut. So I'm kind of like that as well. But I swear to God, like when my face is leaner, even that's better somehow. Like it's, it's if I had the same hair that you're seeing here at like, I don't know, five body fat percentages higher, I guarantee you would not look this good. So I don't know. I actually, I, I, uh, go ahead, Brian. Sorry, I, I agree with Abel on almost all of his points too. The facial aesthetics was going to be mm-hmm. one that I bring up because like, so at about 195, I feel like I, I look my best, whether I'm like clothed or almost even like not like without shirt too, because of the way that like my body fat patterns are and stuff like that, where it mostly goes goes to like glutes and hamstrings. So 195 for my upper body is actually kind of similar to like 185 for my upper body right now. Mm-hmm. Anything above 195, though, as I start approaching 200, 205, I feel like then it kind of goes to like my face for sure. Like this right here becomes like a little more droopy and it's like fatter in the cheeks. And like, I just, I don't like the facial aesthetic piece. And then I also think that uh, some of the fat starts to fill into like my upper body in like almost a bad way where the vast muscularity that I have at 195 ish in my like arms and stuff that even begins to disappear and I'll like lose my bicep vein. So even in like a t-shirt, I look like softer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, those are, those are kind of my thoughts there. Like I think up to a point it does help. Um, and then, oh, and I'll also add that non-lifters all I'll prefer the leaner look for me, like family members and friends. And like everybody, when I'm 185, they're like, oh, you look so great and so healthy and like, blah, blah, blah. And then when I'm like 200, they're like, oh yeah, you just, you know, you clearly like dessert or whatever, you know, like comments. <laughs> yeah. Like that. So I should yeah. clarify because I think maybe my stance was a little bit too one dimensional. There's definitely a lot of nuance to it. So for one, when I said like, it, it's almost always for a natural, more impressive, I should say like from a size standpoint of how like big somebody looks i'm definitely not saying that you will look better overall like aesthetics or anything like that like i said with the round table with jeffrey verdi schofield and alpha destiny i said almost universally especially in pictures and facially you will look better the leaner you get and again that's maybe stops at like sub eight percent body fat but yeah facially and in pictures and with a pump it's better when leaner no question um, and, but I'm just saying to the average person, like I, it literally happens every single time I ever bulk up or cut down the comments stop when I cut down or the comments are like, Oh, you stopped lifting. And yes. when I'm bulking up, it's like, wow, like you're really looking big. Like it's like, they yeah. forgot what I used to look like last time I was bulked up. So I just mean from like a physical impressiveness. I also think that's hugely dependent on muscle mass. So something I, I used to say is I wish I had enough muscle where I only looked better while dieting. And what I mean by that is like, let's say you take an enhanced guy who's like 230, 15% body fat. At that point, you're so big that to most people, you're just going to keep looking better and better because not only are you getting leaner, but you're not looking fat. I mean, the reality is, I think a lot of people forget this, but to an average person, a lot of people just see size. So I know people who might like, if you, if you showed an off season, even if like 12% body fat professional bodybuilder to a lot of people in clothes, they'd think they were fat, right? Because yeah. they just see this big body. And so when I say like, they'd only look better when dieting, I mean, it would continue to improve and improve versus like somebody like me kind of lanky. There's a point where like sub 12, I'm like, I just start to look skinnier and skinnier, not better. Now, Brian, you're kind of in between the two where like, there are enhanced people who aren't even your size. So I think for somebody with your size, 
the leaner you get, it is going to keep looking better to a point. You know what I mean? I, I could see that bias. You're also a little bit shorter than me. So your body type is, is a definite influence on that for sure. Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely a point too, where I'm going to, if I do get lean enough, like if I get another five plus pounds below where I am now, I think I'm going to be like the incredible shrinking man, kind of like you're saying, where I just kind of look like, like I'm just gone, you know, like where'd all the muscle go type thing, unless I'm basically half naked, right. you know? Yeah. I think, I think there's also a middle, and the middle ground is very tough because you don't look that different at like 13% than like 16%, but you can look smaller and I'm very rarely on the other spectrum where like, I'm so lean that just like relaxed looks good. Um, but you definitely see those people where you're like, Oh wow, you're not even that. Like, I'd be curious about the guy who sent us the pictures this morning. Um, I don't know how much he weighs or he might've told me, but I don't, I don't think so. Uh, but he looks great because he's relatively tan and lean. And so you see that and you're like, you could just stand there, relax. Like you basically look like an Abercrombie model or something like that, you know? But if this guy told me that he's like five, nine and one sixty-five, I wouldn't be like, I can't believe that. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he's like so big, but he looks fantastic because he's lean enough. But that middle ground, like if he gained 10 pounds of fat, he might look like do you even lift? Right. Because the things that start to get softer and whatnot. So, yeah, but I, I definitely also, like it's very observable that with some people it is like with me. Like I, I think being leaner just generally improves me aesthetically um, down to a pretty pretty low body fat percentage. With some people, I think it's it's like pretty unanimously agreed upon or would be agreed upon. I think if we made people vote that they just look better at the slightly higher body fat. Um, like I, I think. One example is Mario Tomic, for example. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, he look, I, I think he looks awesome. Like, he's, he's, I think, actually one of the best, like, uh, netty physiques that I know uh, that are, like, not complete free shows. Uh, and he looks great when he's lean, but, like, when he's at, like, let's say 15% or something, so, like, 80 kilos plus, I, I think he just looks even better. So it's... Yeah. Um, and I don't know what, what is it about it. And even, even when I'm looking at like the face, like that, that's also interesting. I heard it and Morio is obviously not an example of this, but um, I think my mother said, and, and then I had to conclude that she's right, that above a certain age, it just doesn't treat people's facial aesthetics well if they are very lean. And the first example I really noticed this one was my, in my, my father-in-law, like, um, he he's a he's like 55 or something like that and he he looks 45 like he he just has this very youthful look and he had some like complication or something and he lost a lot of weight and i saw him and i i was like shocked like like why does this guy look so bad like i, I don't know like like he usually looks so much better and then i realized like because he, he lost a lot of weight his, his face is a lot leaner and it just made him look um like like older and just less like with like less vigor in more in, haggard in that person yeah well that's definitely a yeah. thing i mean people do lose volume and that's why you know you see all these women with all this filler in their face because they're trying to get the volume of youth back right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. how do you guys feel about uh biofeedback as you diet because i feel like i'm almost in this like glory stage right now where I have lost weight, but not so much weight that biofeedback has really tanked. And in many ways it's actually improved. Like I feel, I feel much better at 185 in a lot of ways than 195 or 200. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like up to a point, you know, you begin to feel better when you diet until it gets worse type thing. Mm. Well, I, well, first let's define biofeedback. So I'm sleeping better. Um, my Apple watch is telling me that my HRV is, is quite improved and I have more energy, um, throughout the day. I'm more focused. I am, uh, less, I feel like life in general is less laborious. Um, going for walks feels less like I have to put one foot in front of the other and more like I am just like walking on air type thing. Um, and that's kind of been progressively getting better as I've lost weight. And then just maybe in the last week or two, as I've gotten to this 184 number, it's, there've been moments of, oh, this is kind of diet fatigue type thing. Mm -hmm. But the first 
10 pounds, it was like, everything just got better and better every time I lost more weight. Yeah, I would say my, it depends on like what I'm looking at. So hunger can be starting almost immediately. So I guess if I'm like really full, if I was like pushing a bulk, I would say, yeah, I guess part of me would say no to most of that because I don't like push a hard bulk anymore. But if I, if I was, then yeah. yeah. Um, I would say my biggest thing is sleep starts to get worse relatively quickly. Libido like immediately drops. Although I actually like that. <laughs> I, I, I like, prefer that. Um, and then I would say the, the main thing I would say is a benefit is I do notice by feeling lighter, like improved cardio um, you know, like things just become a little bit easier in that sense. So it's not, I wouldn't say things are better, but I'd also say they don't get too much worse for the first like 10 pounds or so. Sleep has been like insanely better almost wow. immediately since I started dieting. This is actually able, I think you and I may have addressed this after Dave yeah. left last time. Right. Yeah. So basically, uh, I was saying that like, we were talking about how, you know, eating big meals at night, like really affects our sleep that it like mm. heats up our body and we were restless and, and all this stuff. So as soon as I made the decision to start dieting and, and started, you know, stopping eating at six and no, uh, no water after that. And, you know, smaller meals throughout the day and all this stuff, like sleep just like clicked for me, I've been waking up one or two times a night and it's just like briefly, like either to pee or to roll over. And then I'll go back to sleep. Whereas when I'm just eating at maintenance or slight surplus or whatever, I'm up three to five times a night. And oftentimes I struggle to fall back asleep. Hmm. Yeah. It's, um, for me. Okay. One second. Sorry. I'm just closing this bullshit. So for me, um, I definitely, I would have, I have a sweet spot range. And uh, for example, right now, I think I'm at the very low end of that. Um, maybe, maybe even it's like slightly under, but um, to me, it's, if, if I had to say like a body fat number, I would say like maybe 13 to 17, 18, something like that. Um, but, but so it doesn't apply to everything universally. So for example, now I, I definitely noticed that walking is a lot more pleasant, like, like Brian is saying. Um, libido, it's, to me, I've not managed to get to such a high point in body fat to where I felt like it was not still getting better mm -hmm. um, to the point where like, so I'm not, um, actually, actually um, so my penis size shrinks when I'm dieting, which is a good thing because... <laughs> Just kidding. No. Uh, I, when when Dave said that thing about the libido, I immediately decided that I'm I will have to say this. Um, so pausing on that though, because to me, it, I'll hear these like ads, guys who are fifty, and they're like, oh, like I just I want to get my libido back. And I, you know, I feel like there's a lot of analogies there with like food and whatnot. But to me, I guess if I was so full all the time, maybe I'd say, oh well, I, you know, I want to be hungry again. Right. But for the most part, it's like, I would, I would almost never say I want to be really hungry. And like, similarly, I'm like, I don't want my libido even higher. Like, I feel like it's a distraction. Now I say that as a healthy 30 year old. So maybe if you're 50 and things aren't working, like maybe it's just different. And I remember Steve Hall actually said that too. Like when he went on, uh, he was on TRT for, you know, a short period of time. And he was like, it was horrible. It was like all I could think about. So I yeah. don't know where you guys stand on that, but I mean, I, I think it, for me, it's very simple. It, it matters if there is like some kind of a, an emotional pressure on me because of the lack of it, which can be a problem if you're in like a new relationship or something, or like, let's say if I was like a, a younger guy that like goes out a lot and like, I'm trying to get, have experiences and like have some like one night stands or whatever. And like, Okay, so like I, I do everything right, like you know, arrange the circumstances so that I could have those, and then I don't have libido. Like then that 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 would be an issue. Um, or for example, when I'm I was dieting down to my photo shoot, and like, like the zero libido, and then mm. we didn't have sex for like three months or four. <laughs> wow. um, so like that's um, you know, wow. I mean that that was harming the relationship. Uh, so yeah. in these instances, it matters. But yeah, otherwise, like not like if it works enough so that like we have a healthy sex <laughs> right, life yeah. uh then i don't want that even higher one yeah yeah mine uh is pretty moderate i would say almost all the time i don't really notice a change when i diet or don't diet really and my labs my labs seem to show the same at least as far 
as testosterone goes, like it doesn't really change when I'm uh, at maintenance or surplus or end of a diet. It's all pretty much around 300 plus or minus your testosterone, total testosterone. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating to me because I, to me, my testosterone doesn't change that much when dieting or bulking, but my libido is like directly tied to how much I'm eating. Mm. Like, and, and you know, evolutionarily you could say that makes sense, right? Like you have more of a surplus. And so, but I mean, literally it could be like within a month of dieting, even if other things haven't happened yet, like I'm sleeping good, like it just immediately drops. And then when I'm bulking, it's like, we joke about it. Cause it's like, Oh, like Dave's bulking, like, <laughs> you know, there's just like a clear difference. So, um, it's like directly tied to calories for me. Interesting. Yeah. I don't really notice too much of that. I mean, I also think that my life is filled with, a, a bit of psychological stress with raising two young children. Say, you and kids, I mean, there's, it's just like a whole slew of things. Like by the time, you know, eight 30 PM rolls around and we finally get the kids <laughs> down and we've been up for 15 hours. It's like, <sighs> Right, right. Yes. To me, I know for sure that I'm I'm at the very high end of my uh, like okay range is when I just actually stop enjoying food. So like when we go out and have a really incredible meal, like as as you know, like it has a hormonal effect on you, like an actual like a cognitive, like almost like a smart drug in a way, or like alcohol or something. Like it mm-hmm. it's not just that it tastes good, but like it, it actually enhances your mood. Like, um, and I notice this the most when I'm cutting and then if I eat like a, some meal with fruits and things like that. So not even a high carb, like moderate carb, like I can actually notice th- those effects like on my mood immediately. Cause I'm just that sensitive mm-hmm. that it, like it, it gets to a point where I'm all like too high in body fat, where I'm eating like even the tastiest meal. And it's just like stops having that effect on me. So like, like that's, if that happens, then I know for sure, like, man, like what the hell are you doing? Like you knew that you shouldn't be this heavy, but now it's definitely the case. Yeah. Uh, so you guys ready to talk about minimalist training? Yeah, man. Yeah, let's do it. So I guess we can talk about, you asked uh, Abel some specific questions we can get into as well, but mm-hmm. Um, just in general, I guess the topic we're discussing here is there's two ways you could look at it. You could say, what is the minimal amount that I can do to obtain optimal results? Like to really like get to where I would eventually be. And then there's, okay, what's the minimum I can do for a specific goal, which might even be maintaining, right? You could have everything in between for slow progress, for no progress, but I'm really busy. And, and obviously the answer there is going to be different. Um, you know, I was just, I wrote one other thing down there, which is the anecdote that like with specialization routines. And again, I, I think I'm, it's hard to use me as an example. Cause I think I'm just like constantly pushing against that same level. So it doesn't mean it wouldn't work earlier in your training career, but I knew I was doing uh one arm. I was trying to hit like a one arm pull up and one arm push up goal. Like obviously one push up is easier. So that was for a certain number of reps. And so like three times a week, I was doing all this volume for that. And there was no change in my left arm size relative to my right at all. And I mean, that was probably added like nine sets per week of pushing and nine sets per week of pulling. And there was no difference. So um, I I think there's just, you know, there are some exceptions. I understand like the studies show all this stuff on volume, but it's very routinely heard that, or I routinely hear that somebody tried all this extra volume and it just didn't do that much. And they end up gravitating back towards like a moderate volume. And I've just personally never found for size, I have found it for like a strength from a technique standpoint. I've just never really found for size that all this extra added volume did much. And so then I guess with this topic, we're kind of working backwards of like, well, then how little do you actually need? Mm. What wasn't one of Abel's questions, like what's the least you could do to get, to keep 80% of your muscle mass or something like there was some Not 80% to get, uh, minimum number, number of lifts for somebody wanting need to have 80% of their max physique, which is obviously hard to define, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I, I can be more specific by what I meant. Uh, just if you, while I'm talking, you want to brainstorm on this. Uh, I, I have two types of physiques in mind specifically. Like one is I would call like the Tinder physique. So it's, it's the kind that like would never be a, a successful influencer or something, but it's like the average person looking at this. So like you go on a Tinder date and like you take your shirt off and then 
later the the girl or guy that you were with is like telling the friends like and his body oh my god like <laughs> so you know if, if you're looking at like soccer players i think those are good examples of this like uh they they have like they're lean decent chest maybe some arms but like no no delts so like that kind of thing so like you can tell that this is not a bodybuilder but you're very much in shape and then the next one would be like let's say yeah you can actually even step on a bodybuilding stage i mean mm -hmm. maybe you will have a, a few like things like okay you could work a bit more on that but like you definitely belong on stage if you have the genetics for it so make that a caveat and also that you don't have some crazy uh, genetic weak points like okay like i've just like super narrow shoulders so like i would need a ton of shoulder work for that yeah. or something um so anyway what, what were we saying before this yeah you were going over the you're expanding on the categories so oh yeah but i, I know dave wanted to leave that to the oh, end okay. so maybe yeah, yeah well i think that it's probably almost easier to define the 80% of your maximum potential because once you start getting into like, oh, how much does it take to get that physique? Again, that's like so dependent on genetics mm -hmm. that like you could say like, okay, so let's say like the Tinder profile versus like a bodybuilder, like Pascal um, from Revive Stronger, right? He is a bodybuilder now. He's stepped on stage and he's put in an incredible amount of work so you could say, oh, he's needed like all of this work to get there. But I, you know, I, I go to like a gym now where I don't know, there's clearly enhanced people. There's clearly people with like, you know, better genetics, et cetera. And I, I just talking to some of them, some of them don't work that hard and they look significantly more impressive. Right. So like to say, like, I want you to look like this physique, I think is going to be harder to define. But I, so I, I, if you wanted to say 80% or to get most of your gains, that's probably an easier way to, to go. About yeah. It. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, maybe I even said that, but, but maybe I didn't like, uh, if you look at um, Steve Hall, for example, like now clearly he ascended to like the next level um, or Eric Helms also uh, made some improvements, but um, yeah, maybe Eric would be actually a better example. Cause like Steve actually kind of looks like a different person. Um, so Eric, like if you look at him on his previous competition or the first competition, 2007, I think, like you can definitely see if you're looking at like, okay, he has bigger, this bigger, that, but like th that person looks like a, a bodybuilder. So like, let's say with his genetics, like, um, how, like, what would he need to do to get to that 2007 physique or, or that's yeah, still yeah. not any better than the previous. Definition? No, I, I think no, I get the question. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's fine. Um, I think it's lower than a lot of people think it is um, because I think there's like a time component that a lot of people don't factor in. I always talk about this, right? I say, and I don't really hear many other people talk about this, which is that it's like, okay, so maybe something would get you there faster, but a lot of things would still get you there. So like, I think Brian is probably almost certainly further along now than if he had just stuck with Max OT, like I know that was an original influence of yours, right, Brian? Yeah, it was but, like four years in or something. Yeah. Yeah. But if you took Brian and everything else, like, was like you, he was like, you have to train with Max OT and that's it. But you did this for 20 years and you balked and cut and balked and cut. And you had that huge stimulus that people often don't talk about, which is just the calorie surplus. Mm -hmm. I think you'd probably be within five to six pounds of muscle mass that you are now. Like, I, I yeah. do think there's probably a difference, but it wouldn't be like, like the difference between you and me right now, having tried like a million things is probably greater, significantly greater than the difference between you and yourself. If you had done nothing but max OT this whole time. Yeah. I mean, I think you could even take it to, to a lower degree than the exercise variation that's in max OT. Like I, I, I think I could have probably done max OT for the last 20 years and be almost exactly where I am right now. I mean, it's probably that close, like five to six pounds might even be too generous. I think um, it was, I just didn't want to be too aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like, like, I think over the course of time, you could probably develop like almost all of your physique potential, call it 98 plus percent, just doing the six main lifts that I always talk about, like a push pull legs and, uh, a horizontal push pull with a leg dominant movement and a vertical push pull with a, a hip dominant movement. And you have six lifts there. And I think if you just did those forever, 
um, you would probably get to 98 plus percent. Um, and then I think as far as getting the Tinder body or the like 80% of your maximum potential, don't need I don't see, so I don't see any reason you couldn't just do like dips and pull-ups <laughs> and like, uh, single leg squats or, or walking lunges or like something along those lines. I mean, as, as simple as it gets, like almost purely calisthenic with like a little bit of leg work in there or something could probably get you to 80 plus percent of, of your physique, I think. Yeah. I mean, if, if I look at, oh man, I, I probably won't be able to find it now, but maybe I can like send it and we can put it up on the screen. But, uh, if I look at my physique, like before I started lifting, so this picture that I'm thinking of was in high school. So on this one, I remember that I was strong enough so that I could do like 15 strict uh, bodyweight chin-ups. Um, and I don't know how many, but, but I was only doing push-ups and chin-ups at home uh, without much structure. Um, and if I'm looking at that picture, honestly, I would just need to be a bit leaner and I would pretty much have the Tinder body and just played soccer with my friends. So, I mean, legs were, I don't know how good, but so, you know, like, yeah, maybe the Tinder body is a little bit too low of a bar. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, so, so, so legs and upper body, both are pushing a, a pull and so them four, four lifts basically. As like you're saying as the, the minimum for the, the, the Tinder body one or the, the no, no, the, the, the I think you need six lifts for the, the, the 98 plus percent six. of genetic potential. Cause you have a horizontal push pull, uh, a vertical push pull, and then you have oh. a leg and a hip. Mm -hmm. So you have six lifts. Um, I also think as far as the vertical push movement, I think you could have that be like a dip or an overhead press. And I don't think it really changes the end result anyways. Yeah, I'm surprised that you and I are in such agreement, actually, Brian, because you do have, like in recent years, all this emphasis on technique and all the N1 stuff and all of that. So. Okay, let me caveat this with a whole bunch of shit then, because um, <laughs> we can we can sit here and theorize as much as we want about like, hey, Brian's just been doing Max OT for 25 years, or Brian's been doing this like, you know, two times a week, full body split with only six lifts for 20 years or whatever. Um, but we we have to look at sustainability as well. And so oh, yeah. when you look at exercise selection piece, I wouldn't still be where I am right now, which is almost 40 years old with no nagging injuries on my entire body. Um, mm -hmm. if I would have trained that way, because I had those nagging injuries even three years ago, because I was still, you know, deadlifting and squatting and bench pressing and doing all those things that, that are part of those like core six lifts. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was even three years ago. I, I was, I was constantly in pain, elbows and shoulders and knees and, and low back and stuff like that. And in the last few years of switching to this more specific exercise execution and selection piece, um, I'm completely pain-free. So, um, so when you look at that aspect of it, I think that that adds a, a very important caveat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely a caveat. Um, so we I mean, yeah, so like it, it depends on like how we are discussing this. Are we discussing it like in a utopian, like kind of just a theoretical space or is it like what would actually happen in real life? Um, and it's also like it's a different question, like, you know, theoretic, theoretically, like what types of movement patterns are like mandatory to build a certain type of physique if you have the genetics for it? uh versus or to develop your physique to it's like very close to its max potential versus um you know practically speaking like what what will have to happen so like yeah i, I think um pretty much in agreement with you like those muscle groups i would actually say maybe i would be so i think if someone did um an overhead press which is is gonna be great for like everything from like here up basically um and then some kind of a horizontal press um, and a squat pattern and rdl um and did i say chin up already or did yeah. i yes and then i would say a chin up yeah. mm, I, i'm not really sure if anything else would be needed on top of that um, yeah if you if you take those six movement patterns that i mentioned and instead of just nominally applying the most common lift to it 
and you were to like, you're saying get a little bit more nuanced. So I'm like, okay, you need a squat pattern and you need like a, a hip hinge or a hip dominant movement. Well, that could be a pendulum squat and an RDL. And then you say, okay, I need a, a horizontal push and a horizontal pull. Well, that could be a chest supported T-bar row and a, a flat dumbbell press. And then it could be a, a shit. Maybe it's a lateral raise instead of an overhead press for shoulders. And then your last movement is a vertical pull. And maybe it's a, a one arm, you know, lined up cable iliac pull down or something along those lines. So, so just because those categories exist doesn't mean it has to be the most basic movement pattern. It can be maybe a little bit more nuanced. And then still that could be six lifts that get me to that point. And I'm also healthier. All right, guys. So that's going to wrap up this part of it. Uh, Abel, we have the other part on your channel. So we'll obviously link below to that. People can go over there. Um, anywhere else, anything else you want to plug other than your YouTube, your really. Instagram channel? Yeah, maybe check out my later, my current Instagram channel um, for the upcoming week, at least. And that is called Able Fit Stuff. I'm just planning to upload a cat video there today. So definitely. Yeah, check you're it on out. like two weeks, I think, without getting deleted, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, maybe a new PR. So uh, progressive overload with Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. All right.